Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The Final Furlong Podcast is sponsored by Unibet. Sign up now using code ATR-30 to get your welcome offer. BeGambleAware.org. 18 plus. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast. Thanks for downloading the show. We are looking ahead to a fantastic weekend's racing at Newmarket, Ireland, and stateside as well. Significant interest not only from the Aidan O'Brien Yard, but also Jamie Osborne, uh, Side Bin Soror. We'll get talking about the Jockey Club Gold Cup, which you can see exclusively on at the races and that is promising to be a thrilling thrilling race but we've also got a brilliant card at Newmarket to look at first of all and we shall do so in the company of my good friend and at the races pundit mr kevin blake hello and from the irish field it's mr rory delargy good evening (laughs) delargy now that's an enthusiastic introduction as opposed to last week which was like hi Hello, which you know, kind of kind of annoyed us. Uh, you can follow us all on the tweet machine at Radio Emmett for me and whatever the other two boys are. I can't remember. Right, the first race we're going to look at is, and of course, at Final Furlong Pod. That's the most important one. Follow us there on Twitter for invaluable insights, like when we're recording the show <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, the Royal Lodge is the race that we will start with. This was won last year by Roaring Line, who's obviously gone on to huge success. And John Gosden is once again represented, uh, this time by Beatboxer with Frankie Dettori on board for Her Highness Princess Haya of Jordan. He is a son of Scat Daddy. That's a theme that will be repeated as Kadar is in there as well for Carl Burke, who's having a season of all seasons. I haven't done that in so long. It needed to be done. Uh, Kadar, a son of Scat Daddy, and looks very, very interesting for Phoenix Thoroughbred Racing. And Aidan O'Brien is represented by a few, but the most interesting of them is the full brother to the mighty and the best stallion around, Highland Reel, Cape of Good Hope returns <laughs> after running a gallant de- race in defeat against Quarto back in July. He's back. He means business. But there's no Ryan Moore because Ryan Moore continues his Mendelssohn adventure. He'll be at Stateside uh, partnering him. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Rory, your assessment of this year's Judmont Royal Lodge. Weather report, weather report. Oh, sorry. Breaking news. The weather update on the final Forlum podcast, brought to you in association with water. Are you feeling thirsty? Then you should drink water. Kevin, take it away. Well, the weather forecast for Newmarket is Scorchio. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's currently good, good to firm in places um, with nice, sunny, dry weather. Um, so it's going to be good to farm, lads, almost certainly. Famous last words, but that's what it's looking like right now. Bono estente. Butteris, butteris gallic. Chris Waddell. I love the fast show. All right, that's the going. It's going to be fast. Um, how does that influence your decision-making for the big race uh, that starts things off on Saturday, Rory? And who are you excited about seeing in action in the Royal Lodge? 
it doesn't affect um, my view of the race enormously because most of the, or virtually all the field, have shown their form on good or quicker ground. Um, it would have been a, a slightly confusing race to look at if it was soft. Um, but it's all there in black and white. Um, but with two rules, it's not always easy to read. Um, I was against Cape of Good Hope whenever we uh, previewed That's right. uh, Newmarket. Back in July. I, I, I thought that he was, yeah, I thought he'd struggle. I, I, I put up quarter, not that quarter was a massive price there, but I thought Cape of Good Hope would struggle with the, the speed for seven furlongs, given that he'd already won over an extended seven and a half. Uh, a Tipperary in his previous start, and on pedigree, he's going to want uh, going to want more than a mile, really, um, soon enough. So the step up to a mile is a big, a big uh, positive for him. And indeed, Quarto has um, has advertised the value of his part of the six since. Keep uh, Good Hope has been rested. I think your worry with him is whether he would be absolutely cherry ripe after eleven weeks off, given that a few of a few if of Aidens were let down a little bit. Um, and when they come back, sometimes they're a little bit rusty. But you know, this is a big, this is a big contest. It's not a, it's not a, an obvious prep for something else. Although we will have targets later in the, the season. Mm. Um, I thought he, I thought he had a, a pretty solid chance on, um, um, on quick ground over a mile at Newmarket. Uh, uh, the thing that might come into play here, and I'm trying to get my head around it because you've got a different stalls position on Saturday than you do on the first day of this meeting, is the uh, the draw. Um, there was at times a definite, um, a definite benefit to being right under the stands rail um, today. Again, uh, I'm sure there will be a. I might be racing on entirely fresh ground um, on Saturday because you can race on the. The racing on the far side course. I'm not entirely sure um, what the um, the difference is going to be in terms of railing and stuff like that. But there could be a, a draw bias. We saw that last year. Um, at this meeting, it was it was beneficial uh, to get across to the um, to the stand side. So, uh, backing horses with a you know who can lead and get a good position um, is a positive. And in fairness, that works fairly well for Give a Good Hope, who who wants to go forward. I don't think he needs to dominate. I think he just he's just a forward going horse, um, and uh, he should get a good position and he will stay well. It's not a race I'm I'm absolutely crazy about. Um, there's more to come in the right conditions from most of the field. Yeah. Um, Arthur Kitt's interesting in that um, he was put in his place by two darn hot in the Solario last time I'd have him won the Chesham. Um, Connections still have a lot of faith in Arthur Kitt. Um, and if he comes out and wins this, then it, it you know just underlines how good two darn hot is as a, as a prospect. Is he still um, going to run? Who, Arthur Kitt? Yeah. Uh, I believe so, yeah. He's been taken out of the betting by a number of firms. So unless there's been a <coughs> he's major not... play on him, because he's jocked up. Yeah, he's jocked up. There was talk about him as well. Um, he's definitely not a non-runner at this stage. So it's interesting. I don't know whether, whether something's been uh, said. Very non-runners here. Yeah. yeah. He's not, I mean, it's, it should come through. Straight away, so you look yeah, just no, looking at the card here. Runner. If he's yeah. non-runner, it's weird. No. He's been he's um, he's not priced up. It's a, it's a bizarre one, but he would definitely be very very interesting. Um, Cape of Good Hope. I'm obviously delighted to hear you talk him up because you know he's the full brother to Highland Real. Let's ignore the fact that that also means he's a full brother to Idaho. But I'd like to think that he'll take the Highland Real route, and um, he could dominate this race. The other one that really interested me though was Carl Burke's Scat Daddy 
Gadar, the quotes that he's had about this horse, he's talked about his high cruising speed. He'd have no hesitation in going to the guineas as I think he'd be competitive. That's a direct quote from him. And uh, the Orpi Trophy was mentioned as, as a target, and yet he rocks up here. Now, you could still, of course, end up going for that race. But what do you make of him? You've only seen him the once. Uh, he's a 700,000 euro purchase. Uh, again, Phoenix Thoroughbred invest, investing huge amounts of money. James Doyle booked. Carl Brooks Horse has been flying it. Um, what is your assessment of him? Um, he was impressive. It, it wasn't um, it wasn't an easy race to weigh up the one that he won at um, at Haydock, but he was impressive, and the horse that he beat had been impressive um, on its debut. Mm. Um, a, a very well-bred horse of John Gosden's, uh, um, the brother to Val Stern, etc. Uh, and Kadara beat him pretty easily having looked a bit green early in the race. He's an interesting one in that the dams, um, she's a sister to Cal, or half sister to Kalanisi. Um, and it's a very, very good Agacan family. And yet her, her offspring before Kadar, I mean, the, the previous one that run was beaten in a handicap hurdle at Bellew's Town of March 94, um, Kalanikan. So, you know, the, the, the talent hasn't been equally spread through the family, but Kadar looked like he was... Um, you know, one of the good ones, the way he won at Haydock. It gives them plenty to find, but that's mainly because when you're coming to a race like this on your second start, you know, these horses, they tend to run two or three times. They gradually get to a peak. And so when you're looking at their, their pre-race rating, those who've had two or three chances to run, especially those who've run in Group 2, Group 3 races before, they've been able to show what they can do. Whereas Qatar has won his, his novice first time out. He was getting weight from the runner-up, um, but it looked a decent enough race on paper, and he was he was visually very impressive. So, although you look at the the ratings for this, whether they be, you know, racing post ratings or or time form ratings, for example, um, and he seems to have a stone to find, um, which he does strictly, but that's just because of of his low key start. Um, in terms of talent, he could be right up there with the very best of them. He's clearly been topped up. I wonder how much it's in any trainer's interest who trains for Phoenix Thoroughbreds to talk the horses up anyway. You know, it's very, it's very important that you're on message with that owner, I think. Okay. Um, whereas there, there are some owners where they would say, just talk the horse down, let the horse do the talking. I don't want, you know, I don't want the scrutiny. I don't want people asking me questions. Whereas Phoenix seem to want people to notice them and the success they have and how good the horses are. And therefore a trainer is, um, is expected to, um, to you know, to talk the horse up. Not saying for a second that Qadar is is um, uh, is only ordinary, um, but I just bear that in mind a little bit. He's a very very hard horse to um, to nail down in terms of his his talent, and um, he's definitely the the darkest horse on show. And just before we get Kevin's thoughts on the race, uh, I have to ask you about Beatboxer, who obviously heads the market, another scat daddy. Uh, he costs six hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a yearling, so no pressure there. Hugely expensive horses in this race, uh, and Rob Havlin was all praised for him uh, when he won on him. Um, he took a, a seven furlong maiden at Sandown, and then defied a penalty to take a one mile Haydock novice uh, on his route to this race as well. What's your interpretation of him, Rory? And having asked you about those specific horses, who do you favour? He's 
At the prices, I think I'd favour Qadar because you know they both won Haydock novices, and and um, that's going round the bends. Um, you you sometimes struggle to to work out exactly how strong Haydock form is when you're taking it elsewhere. So you've got that slight um, variable to look at. Both of them were visually impressive. Beatboxer did it by a wider margin. Beat a next time out winner in Rajinsky, but Rajinsky was winning a lesser race, if you like, um, next time I didn't have to improve. And the rest of them didn't really count. There are no there are no superstars in behind. Um, Hoffa and Seven for a pound who were in behind have been beaten again since. So it's it's a little bit more um, style and substance with Beatboxer, although... Um, he was he was impressive enough on the clock as well, but not not to the degree that you'd make him a hot favourite for this. Um, clearly, he stays a mile, which is a, which is a big benefit, and he will, I would have thought, stay beyond that next season. Um, he's very interesting, but I'm not sure I'd make him favourite on the back of that run. Whereas, you know, what price is Kadar? Seven to one. Yeah, I mean, I'd have the pair of them closer. Pete Boxer was doing no more than was expected. He was a three-zone shot for that novice. Um, and as I said, yes, he was impressive. But um, I'd rather see horses show that they're not um, to be bullied in, in group company um, before I want to back them at very short odds. We, we, you know, People have gone broke time and time again backing impressive horses, um, you know, stepping up from lower class races where they've been able to bully their rivals and then going straight into group races. Um, those horses do win plenty of races, but I, they tend to make bad favourites as a rule. Kevin, you've heard from Rory. What is your assessment of the Royal Lodge? Kadar. I do really like Kadar. Um, I thought he looked like a smashing colt when he won first time. Um, beating a horse in Wallstern who had looked a very nice colt himself first time. And I just liked the way he did it. He was ridden for education. He had to wait for a run. Wallstern got first run on him. And uh, Clifford Lee didn't have to get all that serious to go and not just get Wallstern, but to, to get to pull away from him. Um, the ground was good to soft there at Haydock. And looking at his action, you'd think the, the better ground, the, the sounder surface at uh, Newmarket will suit him well um, and he looks a lovely horse and this is a, a big step up obviously he'll be coming in as um, one of the more inexperienced ones but I would be I would be keen on him and it's hard not to be taken with the with the chat of Carol Burke either um, mm. he clearly can't hold himself back talking about this fella and um, yeah I'd be I'd be very keen on him and just to to briefly peek her head quietly around Bloodstock Corner. I think this is a very interesting example of the, the highs and lows and how quickly things can change in, a, in the world of Bloodstock. So as Rory said, um, Kadara's dam is very well-bred. Aga Khan family. She's a half-sister to Kalanisi, no less. Um, she's by Sindar herself. And as a race mare, she was a good race mare. She won two lists of races. She was second in a group two. So going to stud... She had everything going for her, I think it's fair to say. Um, first two coverings were more than ready. And Kitten's Joy, she had two calls. But come the back end of 2015, uh, the three-year-old had only run once for Dermot Well, finished second last in a big field maiden, and was just about to go to the, the Goffs Horse and Training Sale. The two-year-old 
by Kitten's Joy was unraced and was just about to go to the Goffs horse and training sale, clearly considered to be no good. And they decided to sell the mother as well, Calora, Calora. in full to Scat Daddy in America. Scat Daddy at the time was standing for $35,000 and was very much in the ascendancy. How much was she bought for? And she was 11, 11 years of age, two time listed winner, half sister to Kalanisi. Uh, shaky start, no no way of disguising that. Shaky start as a broodmare, in a sort of a in a in a in a do your business or get off the pot sort of a spot in her in her broodmare career. Info to Scat Daddy, very much a fashionable stallion. How much was she bought for? Don't guess because you probably have it in front of you. Mick Flanagan bought her for sixty six zero thousand dollars. What? And uh, for nothing. She was carry she was carrying Kadar. And uh, Kadar has obviously popped out, and um, he went through the ring as a yearling. Uh, they obviously had a reserve of $200,000 on him. He failed to make it, but he changed hands privately for a similar amount, one would imagine. Went to the breeze ups, made $700,000. Um, he looks like a proper stakes horse in the making. And the other two weeks ago, um, her yearling filly by declaration of war made $200,000. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, Kalora looks like a, a right brute mare. Uh, and it's just gas, like the, the you know the Aga Khan, obviously top operation. But it just goes to show you that even with all the evidence in front of you, things can still change very quickly. And um, God, you wouldn't mind having Kalora looking at you from the field now. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a pretty mad story. Yeah, I mean, I, I know Mick Flanagan actually. He he does a lot of work with the with the China Horse Club. An young Irish guy. He'd be, he'd be a similar age to to us, I'd imagine. Um, early to mid thirties. Um, big tall fella, but uh, he got he got a he got a right touch here. I think that's a, a great piece of business. Okay, so you are going to go with the Phoenix Thoroughbred uh, horse as well, who I also like. I've said Kadar, but obviously I will be back in Cape of Good Hope because you know Highland Real and Rory likes that horse as well. We shall move on to the two twenty five at Newmarket and get the lads' expert opinion on the Chivalry Park Stakes. Now it's all been talk about Pretty Pollyanna. It was obviously very impressive in France and hugely impressive in that very controversial race at Newmarket when Frankie was on the bowl boys list. Uh, Signora Capello uh, takes on Pretty Pollyanna again, interestingly enough, with Frankie Vittori on board. And while they're the two that's been really talked about, Lady Kaya has to be interesting for Sheila Lavery, but even more interestingly is Donico O'Brien riding Fairyland for the first time, a Royal Ascot winner and a horse who I think when the stable was under a lot of pressure, um, did very well to beat the Mac and Bullet at York last time out. I'm surprised there isn't more talk about her, Rory. Uh, is Pretty Pollyanna the real deal? And is this just a case of she wins and everything else is playing for second? Or is there real value here in the market against her? Uh, yeah, difficult call, Rory. We know that Pretty Pollyanna is the real deal. There was some... Um, um, it took, it took people a little while to catch on. She won very, very easily um, in the um, the Duchess of Cambridge um, at uh, at Newmarket, which was the the old Cherry Hinton. There was plenty of trouble behind, but she would have won by a wide margin, whatever happened behind her that day. Um, and she did it in a very, very good time. And it, it amazes me that people will try to judge a performance like that by the interference rather than looking at the time that's been achieved. 
um, and it was clearly top notch. She won at the same time as what was what was the Aidan O'Brien filly who won the Leopardstown Maiden by ten lengths uh, around the same time. Oh God, good question. Oh, um, um, no, but, I'm disappointed after. Um, yeah. I think she was favoured to beat Skitter Scatter next time. Yes. Yeah, she was. Interestingly enough. Um, and and no, it was geez. it was one of those questions on the Racing Post Monday jury. Who was who was more impressive? And they all went for the O'Brien filly <laughs> uh, over pretty Pollyanna. And I thought, you're you're absolutely mental. One's won a maiden by ten lengths, one's won a group two by seven. Yeah. It's <laughs> clearly the group two winner is the better horse but there. That, that's the however, that's the however promising the maiden winner might be. Like that that's just Yeah. Yeah. But those, those, you know, that was that was a non-Irish jury, as it were. Mm. You know, we you see and you see something in a race that makes it messy, and you automatically throw the race out. Um, but it didn't take people too long to realise how strong it was. Um, and she was, I thought she was very impressive beating Signora Cavello um, in France last time out in the morning. Uh, the morning is always a strong race. The pair of them pulled um, well clear. Um, I think uh, Senora Cabello is a, a very decent filly as well. But pretty, pretty Pollyanna, sure how good she is. And she loves a fight. She loved getting involved in a scrap there, um, which is something you always worry about with, with a wide margin winner. So she's going to be hard to beat because, she again, she's drawn high and she wants to go forward. So she's going to be in a very good position. Um, and only going over the top or a, a serious misjudgment um, on the part of Sylvester D'Souza is going to, you know, make her likely to be beaten but it is you know if she wasn't in it it would be an interesting race I, I agree I, I really like Lady Kaya I think she's um, a better filly than people think she is even those who've got onto her and think she's quite good now um, she was really impressive when she made all um, on her second start because she was very impressive on her debut when she came from miles back um, when the first and second dominated throughout and she was the only one to make ground from off the pace she then impressed when she won next time out and I thought she was given an, she was given an odd ride in the debutante, because she made all the running over the same course and distance on her previous start, and she was held up in last place next time out. And it was almost like a, let's just teach you how to race in different ways, and you could, I wouldn't say write the form off, because it was still a good performance. Um, but she was right back to her um, her best one second to Skitter Scatter last time out. Um, Skitter Scatter again, because of where she comes from, hasn't been given full credit for what she's done. So I like Lady Kaya, and I want to back her each way here. Um, but, uh, but I'm not saying for a second um, that Pretty Pollyanna is flaky at all. I think she's very, very solid. Um, she's going to be a very short price. And the, the benefit of the short price means that you get a, a little bit of value in each way market. And I'd want to buy a little um, Lady Kaya in that each way market because the Brits haven't quite caught on to Sheila Lavery yet, have they? No, no. Despite our efforts, we'll get there. We will get there in the end. But despite our efforts so far... Um, not quite, but that's that's a good thing for us though, because it means we're if you want to go down that route, we are getting uh, a decent each way price, and of course it is very much favouring uh, an each way race. I hold no fears of saying that I, I really like Fairyland, uh, daughter of Kodiak, and and I would like to think that she's a horse who can reach this level. I know that you like Lady Kaya, Kevin, but Pretty Pollyanna is the one thousand guineas favourite. No horse has looked as good as her in the Phillies division this season, with the exception of Skitter Scatter, and she doesn't turn up. So is the 11-8 to 8 a fair price, or are you, like Rory and myself, looking to back something each way? Am I looking against pretty Pollyanna? You know, she ticks all the boxes, really. Um, clearly super talented, clearly the one to beat on the form she's shown thus far. Um, but the price is about right. 
And um, like the two of you, I would be inclined to go for an each-way option. And it looks like it could be one of those rare weeks, the second time in three podcasts, and me and Rory agree on everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I'd be with Lady Kaya as well. Um, for much for the, the same reasons that, that have been stated already. You know, I think she's fast. And it's not just her performance last time that suggested that either. Um, I think she's fast. And I think coming back to six firelines will really suit her. Um, my reading of the debutante and why she was ridden the way she was um, was a factor that we have talked about on, on the podcast a few times. I think they just, they just felt guilty... Um, fell into the trap of, of getting intimidated by the Ballydoyle battalions. Um, Ballydoyle had a few runners in that race, including one that looked very likely to make the running. And I think they just said, right, we'd like to make the running, but Ballydoyle have a pacemaker in there and we don't want to get spoiled. So they rode her a little bit upside down. I don't think it really suited her. They were a bit more forward with her last time. She settled better, but I'd say they'd love to go be a bit more forward with her here. But you'd like to think that dropping back to six furlongs um, in a group one, they'll go a nice even pace and she'll just be that bit happier going a nice even pace over six than a nice even pace over seven, if you know what I mean. She yeah. should naturally settle a bit better, even if she's not in front or on the front end. Um, and yeah, look, I think she's capable of better. And I think she's a very fair each way price. I hope that the British press latch on to this story a bit better than our own did um, around the Moiglare because this, this is a fabulous story um, trainer, jockey owner um, Joanne Lavery is Sheila's niece I believe she's a you know a young girl 25 years of age has been offered Ireland for this filly at Gazillion. different stages and mm. hasn't taken it they're rolling the dice Sheila Lavery, you can only imagine the phone calls Sheila Lavery was getting from jockey's agents uh, trying to get her to jock Robbie Colgan. Um, you know, a converted jump jockey, uh, still very much a jump jockey, um, off this filly. And she has stayed loyal and, and to, to Robbie Colgan. And that's a great story. Absolutely. And it, it is, it's, a, it's a real, it's a proper story. This is Sheila Lavery is a, a wonderful woman. A great talker, um, and I, I really, I, I expect the ITV guys in particular to, to really jump on this, and I hope the, 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 the print media and everyone gets on top of this because it's, it's a good story. These stories are rare, and, and when they come around, you should jump all over them, yeah. jump on them, and she is a genuinely big chance as well. Oh, hundred, she has to on that line through Skidmore. She, she has to have, and and Pink Dogwood has done no harm to the form either i mean i i think she's capable of an awful lot better she absolutely destroyed her at the curra i i would be shocked if um if she's not on the podium with ed and cheska at some stage or at the very least if if cheska is interviewing her in the parade ring or, or ollie as well um because you're 100 percent right it's a great story and and robbie colgan the same way um final selection for you kevin in terms of your your betting angle into this race lady kaya lady kaya and i think Part of us, whether you back her or not, will all be cheering her on because it is just an absolutely spectacular story. Uh, right, the Middle Park Stakes sees 10 sovereigns who has been very impressive. And we got it badly wrong with this horse in the final Furlan podcast. I, I was looking in the mirror earlier today and I was mortified to see that there's still egg on my face. And I'm sure it's the <laughs> same for Declan Ricks 
and for Kevin Blake because in our weekend preview, we were talking about the big race at the current. We were saying, oh, there's no way. I mean, 10 sovereigns couldn't possibly run in this race, having put up such a huge ra race uh, and a huge run just the week before. There's no way he'll turn up in the round tower. Turns up in the round tower and gets the job done quite easily. He's odds on at best price 8 to 11, but there's a fly in the ointment. And I'm not just talking about Simon Christopher's Jash, who is owned by Hamdan Al Maktoum, an interesting owner for Simon Christopher. I'm talking about Sergei Prokofiev. He's back, <laughs> Kevin Blake. He is back, and he's tongue-tied for the first time. The heifer's on board. This could be interesting. <laughs> um, no, I know. I, I'm, I'm a fan of... of uh, did, did we decide that Sergei is what we should be saying? Sergei? Sergei Prokofiev. It no matter. <laughs> um, oh, look, I was a big fan of this horse, and I, I retained the fate after Ascot last time. You can't judge him too harshly on last time. It just yeah. was an absolute disaster. Too free, coming back off a break. Um, they didn't go quick enough in front, and it was just a bit of a disaster. But um, while he is surely better than that, even if he, even if he came back to his Coventry stakes form, um, yeah, 10 sovereigns. I think I'd have a big regard for 10 sovereigns. Mm. Um, and every measurable going, this is a proper horse. And um, you don't need to go in, you know, if, if you're not, if you're not so inclined, you don't need to go in, in depth with this to think that um, given the visual impression he's created. But um, in terms of what he's been doing on the clock, in terms of his mechanics, um, everything really. He just looks a proper, proper horse. And uh, this has been the target. Um, it, it did raise eyebrows. It certainly raised ours that he was backed up as quickly as he was for the round tower. We but, couldn't believe it. You know, it but you, you did, with the glorious benefit of hindsight, they, they clearly really wanted to get another run into him. Yeah. Because wh when he won his maiden, he came up the middle of the track all by himself and he wouldn't have learned loads. And just to elaborate, Kev, like on that day when he won, almost immediately Aidan O'Brien was talking about, well, we're going to aim this horse at the middle park. So you knew that even though he went off five to one on debut, um, the stable was going through that rut at the time. So you knew this was a horse held in high regard. But that point that you make is an important one to elaborate on. And you've said it before, but if you're a new listener to the podcast, first of all, welcome along and thank you for choosing us. Secondly, Aidan O'Brien has talked about the difficulty of a horse winning first time out that it places you in a very difficult position because and just wonderful is a good example of this impressive on her debut but then has to be thrown in at the deep end and it's taken her a while to to come back um so the fact that 10 sovereigns was able to win as easily easily as he did on debut and was then very quickly found another target knowing that they would want him to have a second race for him to go and do what he did and do it as easily as he did means that the hype is real. Like this has to be a hugely, hugely exciting horse. Yeah, but I suppose. Look, if you want to pick at him, um, he maybe didn't learn as much as you'd like on his second start either. You know, and, and Donica has talked about it. He says, look, he's not really a horse that you that you can take back in behind runners and teach him something because you think he's doing a, a hack, but he's actually in front. Mm. Um, you know, he has he has a big stride, a big way of going big mechanics 
And, you know, it's a bit of a common thing with some really good horses that you think you're going a half speed, but, you know, <laughs> the others are flat out all around you. And, uh, you know, that's just a slight concern that he could be a little bit raw, you know, not not just stepping into group one company, but stepping onto a track that that has that can pose difficulties to an inexperienced horse with its undulations. Um, you know, the Curra is, is a very sympathetic track that way. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it could pose one or two little issues for him. But, you know, I'd be happy to think that. And, and you know, this is a good race. No question about that. This is not a bad, a, a below standard middle park. It is absolutely not. Um, but I, I think 10 Sovereigns now is just one of those ones I'm not inclined to oppose him. I think he could be very, very good. Just before we elaborate further on the competition and, and get Rory's thoughts on the race, let me just take you back to Sergei Prokofiev. Uh, his form. So um, Jane Mangan was making the point in the podcast that she'd heard the very positive vibes about this horse, this $1.1 million purchase, and couldn't believe that he got beaten at Dundalk. But of course, the horse who beat him is Skitter Scatter. Uh, he then was very impressive on his next start. He was very impressive in winning uh, at Navan and, and Nace. He's run a huge race in the Coventry. And he just was too free last time out. He comes into this with really solid form. Ten Sovereigns comes into this with visually impressive performances, but that lack of experience. Oh, look, and if you want to back Ser- Sergi at an each-way price, you're welcome to it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, the lads that if you're a number crunching type and you like your sectionals and that type of analysis, um, this fella has, has been breaking the machine yeah. in both his, in both his starts. Um, he, he looks a bit of a freak on the numbers, um, phys, you know, physically and watching him, he, he looks a bit that way as well. And, um, while it wouldn't really be my thing to really blow up a horse that's, you know, adds on favor for a group one, mm. um, I'll make an, I'll make an exception here. Okay. I think the Aidan O'Brien fan site, we should credit them with this. We're talking about the fact, and I know you were a bit dismissive of it at the time, Kev, but the time that 10 sovereigns clocked over, uh, the six furlongs at the current debut was faster than the majority of Phoenix stakes. Now, obviously the problem with that is that the group on Phoenix Stakes is run on different days and ground can be different and wind factor can be different, but it was notable and, and it was impressive. Um, Rory, 10 Sovereigns and Sergi Bukovia uh, make the trip over from Ireland. Rumble in the jungle. Richard Spencer retains the faith in him after his disappointing run last time out. Maurice Diamond is turning up as a 50-1 to one shot. Legends of War. Emiretti, Emiretti, Anna, and Jash. This is a, a really, really fascinating renewal of the Judd Middle Park Stakes. Yeah, it, it is um, probably the most interesting race of the entire weekend, to be honest. And, and there, this is a, a weekend full of interesting races mm. um, where big questions are asked and some of them answered. Um, so it's not, I'm not sure this is a great punting weekend. And it's a really exciting weekend. Um, and a horse I really like here is Josh. And I'm not sure I really want to be, say, breaking into the piggy bank and going, right, Matt, you're, you're twice unbeaten um, Colt stepping up to uh, to proper group company against mine. Um, I, Josh has been very impressive in two stuff. I mean, it was, it was a cakewalk for him at Salisbury last time out. But he was really impressive in a novice here at, um, at Newmarket um, at the back end of August. Um, despite the fact that he flashed his tail, doesn't 
or it doesn't worry me enormously horses flashing their tail as long as they're quickening up and going forward when they're doing it yeah. that's fine if they're not going fast and they're flashing the tail then you can put it down to, to temperament and the dam was tricky um but uh, i think at this stage I'd, I'd be all positive about it showed a tremendous turn of foot um to put the race to bed um with a furlong and have to run that first time out and then sauntered away with the race at um at Salisbury last time out. um again your, your one worry with him there was whether he learned an awful lot from his second start because he made all, all the running um, the only danger was a non-runner in that race. We ended up going off at one to eight. Um, so you could argue that he's a little bit raw coming into this, but I think he's really exciting. Um, and I'm, I'll be looking forward to the matchup between the pair of them. And of course, you know, there are horses who've, who've achieved more than the pair of them, um, or who they've got to prove themselves better than. So it's a, it's a genuinely fascinating clash. I will side with Josh, but... Um, you know, he wouldn't be that material. This would be a race to savor in terms of finding out about the future. Yeah, we've said this before. There's nothing wrong with just sitting back and watching a race. And I think, Kevin, your famous line about a race at Cheltenham was, if you can't just sit back and enjoy this race without having a bet on it, then you need to have a serious word with yourself. And that's kind of the mindset here. And, and I thought your line, Rory, was very interesting. This isn't necessarily a great punting weekend, but it is a hugely exciting weekend. And and the reason that it's not a great punting weekend to a certain extent is that there's a lot of short price favorites and you can make cases that they're all going to win, but you can also make very solid cases that there's decent prices against them. Uh, this race is almost certainly going to define 10 sovereigns may very well be a Commonwealth Cup horse. He could be a 2000 guineas horse. I don't know. So the guy may very well bounce back, but there's very exciting horses in this race, and it's it's going to inform us an awful lot about the direction that the season and next season will will take. Exactly, there's an there's an awful lot that this speaks to in the future, uh, particularly whether horses are going to stay at this sort of trip. And the Middle Park has not always been the greatest two-year-old race, but if you're good enough to go Middle Park and Dewhurst, which very very few horses have been um, in the last century. Um, then you have to be you have to be pretty decent, um, but uh, it's a strange thing to say. But in a way, the, the most appealing thing about races like this is that you just don't know how good these horses can be, and that that's why it's a difficult punting race. Because often you look at a race like this and go, "I know how good you five are, and you're all right, but I don't know how good this fella is. But I'm pretty sure he's better than you, and I will back him to prove it. And hopefully he'll beat you by ten lengths and." and be something to be really excited about and then sometimes you see a race and you go well there's two or three of you who could fit into that bracket um and therefore i'd be a bit of a fool if i started saying you're no good when i've got no idea how good you could be yeah um you, you just have to make decisions based on the information that you have and sometimes there's an awful lot that's hidden but the real appeal of watching it is that becomes revealed on the day I don't think I can back him, but 10 Sovereigns, I would be with Kevin. He's just is so exciting, but he was odds against, I think, about a week ago, and um, bookmakers copped on very quickly and smashed his price. So uh, maybe Saturday morning you will get a bit of value about him. Maybe he Is there a chance, Rory, that he could drift out? Um, well, you know... It's Normally, you give me a race where the where the, um, the form is fairly exposed, and I'll, I'll have a, a reasonable idea of whether a horse should drift or, or, or tighten up in the betting. But um, there's no 
there's no reason to expect a, a wholesale drift unless there's a plunge on Josh, mm. which is possible. He was heavily backed on his debut. Um, obviously, connections aren't punters themselves. Um, but, Up um, and down the lines. He, he could have been. <laughs> It could have been a ten to one shot on paper for that new market debut, and he's backed into fifteen to wait on the old. bags everywhere, up office. and down the lines. The boys cleaning up. <laughs> so that, that could change things, um, but I don't think. I I, I think uh, when a horse is 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 punted, you know, four or five days before a race like this, then yes, the chances are the market springs back a little bit. Um, but I don't think I don't think he's going to take a walk in the market. I think I think he's going to he's going to drift a um, a click or two. But um, I think this will be dominated by the lightly raced horses in terms of the market. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, just the fact that Ryan Moore is not going to be there, the Ryan Moore Aiden O'Brien factor, obviously, you know, is going to reduce you a couple of points in in the betting. It almost always does, particularly on a Saturday. It's Donick on board because Ryan is stateside. Um, maybe maybe saturday mornings bookmakers are taking each other on you might do a little bit better uh, but he's hugely exciting but then again a number are in the field now one thing rory delargy loves is a good quiz which is great because the christmas special is not that far away but also he loves a good handicap a good tricky handicap to get stuck into and to give us the winner of and this weekend, we've got the Cambridgeshire, and Rory Delargy has been pouring through the form. He's been watching back the racing archives. He's been looking at all the statistics, then throwing those statistics out because they're absolutely useless, and he knows exactly who is going to win. Maybe it's a 50-to-1 shot like Martin Mead's Dolphin Vista last year. Maybe it's going to be a bit of a gamble like Spark Plug for Brian Meehan. Rory Delargy, reveal all. Who wins the Cambridgeshire on Saturday? <laughs> oh, Lordy. I've got a good quiz question, he said. Oh, yeah, uh, right. trying, trying not to... Um, I, I just remember when you mentioned the Christmas quiz that I hadn't, um, hadn't mentioned my snippet. Um, there is a very the interesting... Listeners, the listeners are running behind their sofas now. And Rory's, <laughs> the, the, the standard of Rory's quiz questions. Oh, it's not going to be a quiz question as such. It's just, it's just going to be a reminiscence. Um, uh, the Carl Burke course in the uh, in the Chiefly Park Stakes um, runs in new colours, I believe. I don't think it was running in new colours um, last time. Uh, yellow with a red chevron and black and white hoop sleeves. Don't see those colours very often. Um, but a long time ago. 1986 Derby, carried by a horse called Ali Malord. If anyone is old enough to remember that, I backed Ali Malord against um, Dancing Brave. It was a stable companion. Um, Mrs. Brody, um, New York-based owner. Uh, he would have been very nearly her first, her first horse, or you know, the first, the first success they had. And he ended up. He was. He was. Uh, only just beaten in the Japan Cup, and um, he won you know, group races across the world. And Guy Harwood trained him to to run very respectably in the 1986 Derby. And I've hardly ever seen those colours on UK shores since. So every time I see a set of colours that I haven't seen for 30 odd years, it's always a nice little uh, a nice little prick of the memory. Yeah, owner Miss Marlene Brody, and they're very yeah. much American style. The horse's name is Comedy. Uh, an Irish bred horse by Dandy Man, Kevin Blake. Oh, sure, look at. 
um and uh yeah it's got the the g at the top with the the red sash and the yeah very american style colors so uh good bit of good bit of pointing out there rory zalarki and uh, and a good bit of i'm sure that i mean there are people as old as me around you'll remember ali Malord. he was a he was a very very good horse he won um he won one of the Derby trials going into that that um, infamous 1986 Derby, which I'm sure is all over YouTube. Shara winning, of course, from the fast finishing Dancing Brave. Oh, it was virtually his last oh, Italian corner. Oh, poor Dancing Brave! Now, uh, Rory, you have poor Greville. You have he got absolutely murdered for that, and nearly probably wasn't his fault. You have deflected you enough. Uh, I have, to, have yeah. To yeah. bide yourself enough time for the page to load up. For your selections, so Alpharus for William Haggis ten to one, Chiron ten to one, uh, Danserita twelve to one, uh, Wissa Hicken for John Gosden and Frankie Dettori with George. Some Stroll, tremendous pronunciations in here already. Twelve to one. There's some efforts. Kenya, uh, the Irish Cambridgeshire winner, fourteen to one for Aidan O'Brien and Shami Heffernan, who's ridden, ridden, ridden him uh, to uh, a success in the Cambridgeshire in Ireland, and then that fine performance behind I Can Fly. Uh, very talented. Uh, Rosa Ryan rides, which is a good thing, taking three pounds off. But you want to be backing Saibin Sarur's horses first time out. I'm not a big fan of backing them second time out. Uh, he is 14s, uh, the full horse by Invincible Spirits. Pivion for Andrew Balding, 16s. And UAE Prince. Oh, UAE Prince. 16 to 1 for Roger Varian. And we should mention the Queen with the crown about to return on Netflix. William Haggis, Daniel Tudhub, seniority for the Queen, 20 to 1. And of course, a fac. I'm sure that Richard Hoyles will be thrilled if this horse manages to get beaten again. Uh, a fac by Oasis Dream, Charlie Hills, Dane O'Neill, 25 to 1. I actually kind of think he's a bit of each way value. But your thoughts on the race, Rory? This is the one we want you to crack for us. I am. Um... First of all, I think you want to be drawn very high here. Okay. Um, I I um, I bought Thundering Blue in this last year. I was massively keen on Thundering Blue. And where did he finish? So the mighty Thundering Blue is about to launch onto a um, uh, a sequence of group wins across the globe, isn't he? Um, he couldn't get competitive from from a um, from a moderate draw last year and this and Thundering the thing Blue, who was supplemented every year is Thundering Blue who was supplemented for the Judmont and ran the race of his life. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the Thundering Blue, yeah. yeah. Oh god. I'm, Running I'm off a mark of ninety odd in this last year. He came out of stall twenty and finished seventh as the six to one favourite. Oh yeah. yeah. It's on anti posts. Um but yeah, but it, you know, stall twenty, I thought that's nice and high, isn't it? Not high enough. Not high enough. <laughs> Um, you think I think you see the number and you think, oh, that's that's on the stands, real, isn't it? There's thirty odd horses in the race. You've got to be closer than that. Um, Thirty-five, aren't there? All told, so yeah. twenty is pretty much in the middle. You're absolutely screwed if you're in twenty, quite frankly. Um, so why, why is that, Rory? Can you expand on that first, please? Well, if there's uh, if there is a bias towards one side or the other, then then you know it's it's a case of of um, <laughs> Uh, going and pace and if you the idea that if you're in the middle you can go either side is the biggest myth in racing mm. if you hesitate for a second to work out which side you think is going to go better you've lost your race already you've got to go forward in the first place and then hope that you're in the right place and be towed into the race by others um 
or you've got to be the kind of horse who is happy to um, to just go to gun it from the start and make your own running. And that's very difficult to do in, a, in a, the longest sprint of the season. Um, it is often, uh, I can't think who, who um, coined the phrase, but the idea is, you know, that the, the, the Cambridgeshire is essentially a sprint over nine furlongs. They just go for it. Um, and, you know, there's no, no quarter asked and none given. Um, and if you're on the wrong side, there was one year where they knew they wanted to come stand side um, and the horses who were low all tried to tack across. And they were all beaten miles. Um, so you've got to go to your draw. Um, but you, you can't hesitate. Um, and as I said, last year, the closer you can get to the stands real late in the day, the better off you are. It's always a bit of a help. Um, how you get there, of course, is another matter. So it's not a case that just back on the horses are drawn there. You've got to be able to have the speed to get across in the first place and also to get a little bit of cover. You know, there's a, there's a lot to take on board there. But... You know, I, last year I thought, ah, oh, that you're on the high side, that's okay. Uh, and that was, it clearly wasn't enough. Um, you tend to get less cover in the middle. Unless you have, unless you have natural front runners up the centre of the track, um, then you can sort of race in three groups, and that, that gives you half a chance. Um, but they'll usually go flank to flank. So, uh, and you've got to work out which flank you want to be on. So the horses who are drawn high, uh, as I'm looking here on at the races are currently at the races.com I should say 40 to 1 25 to 1 33 to 1 66 to 1 28 to 1 66 to 1 40s 66 to 1 and then you've got uh, the Queen's Horse seniority at 20s coming out of stall 27 so are we looking at an upset here yeah, listen, it wouldn't be a surprise. And it's it's worth bearing in mind when you talk about surprises in this race with 50 to 1, uh, 51 winner last year in um, in Dolphin Vista. Um, Prince of Johanna was a was a 40 to 1 shot. Spanish Dawn, I remember winning this at 100 to 1 when I was working in the betting shops. But there are 35 runners every year. Um, you know, and it should really be 33 to 1 the field. So when you get something winning at 40s or 50s, it's not the biggest shock in the world. Um, Spanish Dawn was, you know, he was a listed class horse. Um, when he won it, um, uh, Prince of Johanna was he won the Hunt Cup as well, didn't he? Um, yeah. You know, these are these are very good horses, um, but you just need to have a horse who's who's got the the ability to keep galloping um, over over a very unusual trip and gets the run of the race as well. Because as we saw last year, it doesn't matter if you're a stone and a bit well in um, if you don't get the run of things. Um, it doesn't. It just doesn't work for you. So. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a shock in the race. Um, at this stage, and I'm going to go through it with a fine-tooth comb, the one that I'll be backing, um, who I wouldn't back anywhere else, I have to say, I just think he might be well-suited by the, the nature of the race, is Morden, Simon Christopher's horse. Oh. Maybe a double for Simon Christopher on the day, um, who has Josh earlier on. John is still right. 25, which I hope is, is, um, is a decent place to be. Uh, he races handily enough. The stronger the pace for him, the better. You know, it's a kind of horse in a in a moderately run race. He tends to race freely, uh, tends to travel really strongly, but needs to get towed into the race as late as possible. And uh, two or three times in his career, he's loomed up, looking all over the winner, and then has been, you know, he's finished a little bit weakly, or he's been out battled. However, you want to look at it. Um, this isn't one of those races. You know, this is one of those where you you want to be in the right place at the right time. And he's constantly been in the right place and just hasn't quite got the right result in the past. And that's you know, probably his fault um, to a large degree. But this is a, an unusual race. 
um, and his ability to to travel very strongly, um, his liking for a very strong pace, um, and his draw in, in stall twenty five, and also the fact that he's he's um, uh, as effective at a mile as he is at ten furlongs. You need to stay ten um, in the Cambridgeshire because of of um, the unrelenting gallop, but you also need to have the pace for seven or seven furlongs or a mile. Otherwise, you get left behind, um, and that that places particular demands on the horses who run in it, uh, and which is why you do get these horses um, who run well at big prices all the time, who are just well suited by the nature of these big field um, cavalry charges. Um, and Morden hasn't run in too many races like that, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And ironically, the one time he ran in a big field this season um, at York, he was well beaten. But I think on a straight track, um, on quickish ground, a well-run race, I think it will all come together for him. Um, he's got cheek pieces on for the first time, which should help him get being a little bit quirky in the finish. Um, and while he might dog it a little bit late on, I'll be back at him each way. And if he's if he's in there with a fighting chance with a furlong to go, that's job done. So he is currently a best price 40 to 1. Pat Cosgrove takes the ride and Simon Crispin's horses are absolutely flying. Kevin, no pressure on you. 40 to 1 tip from Rory DeLarge. What are you going to follow up with? A style hunter. Um, for John Gosden and Rab Havlin. Um, wouldn't be a bullish selection, but ticks many of those boxes that Rory mentioned, which I, I would concur with. Um, stays a mile and a quarter, strong traveling sort, uh, very much progressive. Uh, maybe you'd rather one, if you were going to, you know, make one up from scratch, you'd, you'd maybe want a few more runs under their belt just from ex- an experience point of view, but um, sneaks in towards the bottom. Um, and yeah, the conditions will suit. Um, clearly has pace as well as, as well as stamina. Um, hopefully drawn in the right neck of the woods in thirty two, and uh, yeah, why not? Okay, I'm very very happy with that. I think we've got two decent chances there uh, from two of the best minds in the game. Probably be having a larger stake on Morden, but that's no offense to you, Kevin. Uh, also, no, no, on right, Saturday, right. we will be switching our attention and staying up late for a race that is very prestigious the Jockey Club Gold Cup Stakes at Belmont Park, 1050, exclusively live on At the Races. In the race is Gronkowski, Gronkowski who is part owned by the New England Patriots tight end, Greg Gronkowski. Uh, I should point out. Uh, we will also see Diversify, uh, Thunder Snow, but more importantly, from my perspective, <laughs> Mendelssohn, who ran a fine race last time out at Saratoga, four-length defeat behind Catholic Boy. Uh, Ryan Moore once again comes over. He has ridden him on every single start since he's won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. And this is significant, Kevin, because... It's basically a project with, with this horse. It, the aim has been the Breeders' Cup Classic all along. They probably feel as though they'll need to win or at least finish second to be guaranteed of getting in to the Classic. But the initial vibe from Aidan O'Brien was after Saratoga, that was it, straight to the Classic. Now he lines up here. I remember Hold That Tiger doing a similar thing. Uh, he ended up finishing fifth in the Classic. What are your thoughts on this horse? We know he's going to stud at Ashford next season. They haven't announced his stud fee because obviously if he wins the Classic, he will become priceless. But he will definitely retire to stud at the end of the season, which is interesting in itself. What do you think of this project that they're doing and his prospects? 
Well, you have to admire the commitment to this project um, because it would have been very human uh, to very much back away from it after what was a very humbling experience for all involved in the Kentucky Derby, um, where obviously things went very wrong from from yeah. from the get go. Um, but they've they've committed to it. They've brought him back over to America. This will be the third time he's been back to America since the Derby, um, and that's a fair on logistical under, undertaking in itself. You know, and you, it's just this gas because you know the simple thing to do here. If they wanted to win a grade, what you know, it's something like the Breeders' Cup Classic, would just be to transfer him over to one of their American-based trainers and leave him there. But I, I think this is with Aiden, it's personal at this stage. You know, I think he he really wants. You know, there, there's not many things he hasn't conquered, and um, I, I think winning a Breeders' Cup Classic is something that has been in Aiden O'Brien's head as well as obviously Coolmore's head um, for a very long time. And there's unfinished business there. And even if this fella doesn't work out, I suspect they'll keep trying, um, which, which is admirable, you'd have to say. Um, some might say it's foolish. You know, a horse like Mendelssohn, I'm sure, could be making hay on turf as well in Europe. But from a spectator's point of view, from a neutral spectator's point of view, it, it, it's fun, isn't it? It's interesting. It's different. You know, they're, they're all things that, that we want to see. And um, I, for one, hope their they're bravery and... and and that uh, daring will be rewarded to one extent or another, um, whatever about here, but on the big day at the Breeders' Cup. Um, he's drawn in three. And look, we, we just we'll wait and see. You know, he, he got to the front last time at Saratoga. You'd imagine the emphasis for, for Ryan Moore will be on gate speed, gate speed, even if it doesn't mean leading. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, in America, if you, if you want to lead, you're probably going to get competition. So I'd say Ryan might just be as happy sitting second or third. Um, but gate speed is so important. If you want to do any of those things, you have to get out in the way. And um, and that'll be what he's really putting emphasis on, I'm sure. And I, I'll watch this. I'll stay up and I'll watch this. It should, yeah. it should be fun and interesting to watch. Yeah, me too. Um, the gate speed that you talk about, there's there's been, often it's been commented on the fact that um, Aiden O'Brien's horses don't always break very well. That's a fallacy now. They they do break very well. And, and one of the reasons for that is because they've invested in US-style stalls. And you were talking about this, that there was inadvertently, it was put on Twitter, but not necessarily being highlighted what exactly it was. It was a gate with the bell, with the American bell. Um, and the horses from Aiden O'Brien's yard were being trained at Dundalk to to burst out and they are getting much better at that yeah look that's just you know shows the, the depths to which they're willing to go to, to try and make this work better because it is just very different the whole thing about dirt racing you know as well as obviously the complications that come with traveling um, that distance um, but it's just a, it's a, just another planet mm. for a turf horse and you know in Ballydoyle those horses are trained to relax you know they're they're trained to the, the everything about Ballydoyle is about relaxation uh, mentally, whereas horses that are trained on the dirt in America on the racetrack, it, it's a very different environment, and um, you know that that's why it's such challenge. And you know, but to be fair to the team, they're they're embracing it, they're taking it on head on, and last time was certainly a step in the right direction. So. Uh, we'll wait and see. I'd love to see another step forward here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. 
I gotta be honest about it, and obviously I'm gonna be accused of total <laughs> bias here, but I think that this brother to Beholder is a good thing. I think he's a good thing. I, I think they've been aiming him at this. I think there's been a, a rethink, and they've decided we need to go for this. And the fact that Ryan Moore comes over again and that they're not booking an American jockey means they think they can win it and then go for the classic. And Kevin's point about this is the one he wants to win. Like Aidan O'Brien, amazingly, has never won the British champion stakes. But this is the one that he really wants to add to the CV and cruelly denied by Tisnow with the late great Giants Causeway who ran the race of his life that day. Uh, what a horse. Declaration of War ran an absolute stormer in the race for him as well. He will get there eventually, and this horse has been campaigned to get that job done. So this may very well be the season. Uh, Rory, your take on the Jockey Club Gold Cup Stakes live on ATR 1050 Saturday night. Yeah, uh, listen, I don't, I don't have a hugely strong opinion on the race because it's not a, it's not a race that would ever be on my, um, uh, on my horizon, as it were. But I think the interesting thing about this is if it is your ambition to win a certain race, you don't just draw stumps every time you hit a setback. Um, and the the classic has for a long time been an afterthought with horses who were campaigning to get the best out of themselves in Europe before going over and seeing if they could cap it um, by, by winning the, the Breeders' Cup Classic. And uh, because of the, the, the differences is in the surface, the time of year, the fact that horses had full cash really worked out. You, you know, you, as you said, there've been there've been occasions when um, uh, when Coolmore have gone close in the classic, and and Jan's Causeway's defeat to Tisnow is one of the great races um, that I remember for for the rest of my life. Uh, um, but uh, if he don't, if he wants to be serious about winning the race and, and making it a big priority rather than just the icing on the cake, um, then you need to campaign a horse for it. Similarly, you know, the same thing with if you want to win the Kentucky Derby, um, you've got to give a horse a, uh, a US preparation for that. Um, the idea that you can do your bit in Dubai and then just just um, turn up and, and do what you want to do. Interestingly, Thunder Snow's in this race. We all know what happened to, to Thunder Snow when when um, when he um, oh, Kentucky went, Derby. Yeah, when he went for the Kentucky Derby. You know that was that was an embarrassment, wasn't it? But these yeah. are much better horses than than what appears to happen. We know that if people sort of rock up half-baked trying to win big races here, um, it doesn't usually work. And we think, why don't they just do it properly? If they if they want to do it, don't just turn up on a whim, as it appears. Um, and also, that's what's happened. But you've got you've got to step it up a little a little bit. And I'm not sure whether Mendelssohn's the horse to do it, but I think this is just a sign of things to come. You you work out who your Breeders' Cup Classic candidate is at an early stage and you give them the campaign to bring them there. And whatever happens to Mendelssohn, however he feels, or if he somehow succeeds, um, they will have learned a different lesson because they will have brought him through a series of races uh, which are meant to bring him to the classic. I don't think he's the horse to, to break the hoodoo, but at the same time, I also think it's important to go through all the way with that, with a horse like Mendelssohn, and then discuss the lessons that you have to learn with a horse like him rather than talking about the lessons to learn from horses like um, Giants Causeway. Um, so that will help you in, in uh, the following year and the year after that. Um, you're getting closer to doing it properly. 
Um, so for me, the result of this isn't, isn't hugely important. I think Mendelssohn probably comes up short. I think he almost certainly comes up short in the Classic. But I think he brings in the Brian and Coolmore closer to the winning formula. That's a really excellent point that's very well made, Rory. Um, that essentially this whole thing could just be an experiment for future horses. And Aidan O'Brien and the Coolmore team um, said really set in in the old days by vincent o'brien and john magner uh and um and robert sangster investing in the american breed investing in the the northern dancer and the the american line and the, and the stormcat line and and going for for u.s bred horses they are going to have types who are more suited to the dirt and getting more familiar with how you campaign that kind of horse is is going to be important we we talked about the royal lodge earlier on that race was won by daddy Longlegs, who went on to win the ue derby he would eventually end up running for mike de cock interestingly in coolmore colors not fully sold but you know there, there is a process there where they're learning every time i think there is improvement in mendelssohn and i think he is capable of winning at the weekend whether he wins the classic i don't know i do genuinely think he, he's a big player at the weekend I also think that Thundersnow is fascinating. And the fact that Christoph Sumion, who, who got that big job back with the Aga Khan, has, with the exception of one run in Maidan when Oshin Murphy rode, has kept the association going with him, tells you that he, too, is an exciting horse who can... He's been frustrating, but obviously Sumion believes that, that there is a big, big day in him. Um, it's going to be a fascinating race. You can see it live Saturday on ATR, I strongly suggest you watch it. Um, speaking of live on ATR, Sunday at NACE, the Group 2 Beresford Stakes. This has been a, a very informative race over the years. Uh, last year, a certain horse by the name of Saxon Warrior uh, took this prize. It's also been won by Capri, Old Man River, Port Douglas, Jeffrey Schultzer, uh, Battle of Marengo, David Livingston, St. Nicholas Abbey, See the Stars, and Casamento. Uh, so the last 10 years has seen a very, very interesting role of honor. And uh, the favorite, Kevin Blake, has very interesting colors. He carries the, uh. he carries the Nearcos colors uh, along with the Coolmore team in ownership as well. By Galileo, out of six perfections. He's a horse we've talked about quite a lot, Mount Everest. And he will love racing over the mile. He's already a pretty short price favorite with most bookmakers. And surely, Kevin Blake, surely he wins. When Emmett Kennedy goes to bed at night, this is the sort of thing he dreams about. Oh, yes. <laughs> Nearcos um, colors with the, with, the, with the lads involved, trained by Aidan O'Brien. That's what we want to see. A lecture in the Arcos leading him in after he wins. Oh, oh I didn't, I didn't say yeah. that. Yeah. I didn't. You said that, Kevin. I we did all, not say that. We all that. know. We all know, Kenners. You didn't need to say it. You didn't need to say it. Please hold, caller. Um, your, your call is important to us, but please hold. In, um, in a nutshell, um, the fact that this fella is the, a shorter price as he is is probably reflective that this on paper... Um, isn't the best Beresford we'll ever see, I don't think. It's rubbish. Um, it looks pretty scrappy now. Yeah. Uh, Mount Everest probably ran to a high 80s when he won his maiden at the, at the third time of asking. Takara looked taking a good step forward with, with each start. Um, but yeah, 
it looks a weak enough race now. When when you said off air that Mount Everest was a short price, I hadn't seen the market at that stage, and I kind of I had a bit of a what what what, mm. and um, five to four, jeez, short, yeah, yeah, and um, we don't have a single entry from the other side of the water, which is surprising. Very much so, considering uh, the prize the prize money at offer. Yeah, look, and again, it's probably just people are afraid of Ballydoyle Battalions, but um, it's not a race that would set me a light on paper, which is an unusual thing for me to say about the Beresford, because mm. as, you, as you listed out the roll call, it's often a, a fabulous race. Um, but there you go. That doesn't mean Mount Everest can't be a really good horse, um, but you'd like to see him take a big step forward here if he's going to be a real good one. Yeah, he needs to. Impeccably bred, as I said, by Galileo at a Six Perfections, that incredible race mare uh, for the Nearcos family running in their famous colours. I think he wins, Rory, for you. Um, I, I think he's the likeliest winner, but... If, if if he goes for the Beresford Sticks, I would have I'd be telling you to to keep your hands in your pockets. Really, mm. um, I think he's gonna. He's he's clearly a bit of a slow burner. He's going to improve, but it, it, the more you look at the race, um, the more disappointing it is. I, I can't see where the where the um, where something to to blindside you and and um, win this on the way to better things is. Yeah, that's the um, thing. There's not there's nothing there that that um, that jumps off the page at all. Um, Aiden's got plenty of uh, plenty of runners in the race as well. Um, yeah, I'm not um, I'm not mad on it. I have to say, and I wouldn't be a backer at um, I wouldn't be a backer at five to four. But then again, once you start looking through and see who you got running for you, if you're a, if you're a layer at five to four, um, you start to sweat a little bit and wonder if you've um, if you've got much on your side. Yeah, Obviously, keep a good won't, won't run, but. Mm. Yeah, it's disappointing. Disappointing feel for the Beresford. Mohawk won't go either because he's running at Newmarket at the weekend too. It's it's a yeah. disappointing turnout. I'd ima- I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if Mount Everest goes off a very very short price favorite. And I'll say it now, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up running in the Racing Post Trophy as well. I I do think he's a horse who's capable of improving. Uh, very quickly, Gordon Lord Byron, who's been a superstar globe trotter, uh, returns home for Tom Hogan. He'll run in the in the sprint race, the Renaissance Stakes. Uh, the bitterly disappointing St. Patrick's Day, the full brother to American Pharaoh, who has done zilch since he transferred over to Aidan O'Brien. Uh, and Sue Nation, who was pulled at the weekend, is is back in here, we think. Any interest, Kevin? Um, yeah, just an okay sort of group three. Um, Sue Nation would have, would have to carry a penalty, which would make his task a little bit... Um, trickier um, if he was to go back up to six furlongs after a few um, a few runs over five um, yeah not a race I'd be getting super enthusiastic about you'd have to say we do have a few British entries here which is good um, but yeah it's not a race that would set me alight now on paper at least the Niarco Silks are back out again Zabriskie <laughs> my selection for the derby Kevin as you well remember on ITV I think he finished <laughs> now at Epsom. Dear God. Like you, you turned to me before the stalls opened and said, you know you've backed a pacemaker here. And then <laughs> as soon as the race began, you went, ha, 
You haven't backed a pacemaker. You've just backed a rubbish horse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So he tries two miles uh, at the weekend in the Lock Brown Stakes, or at least he's entered to do so. Uh, but the, the one that I think is particularly interesting is Snow Falcon, who... Uh, won the, the Kerry National at uh, Listowel in that epic finish, getting up by a neck to beat Saturnus. Um, and the quotes from Noel Mead afterwards were, God, he's, he's good on the flat. And I have to really seriously consider things. And he's entered, and he could very well run, Kevin. Yeah, you know, it's an unorthodox prep race for a group, for a group three over two miles on the flat, but... Um, ah, smashing the horse wouldn't you love to own one like him um, great versatility clearly um, this would, this is a, a decent group three you'd have to say Idaho yeah. carrying a penalty um, if he runs would be a danger to all no doubt and the Pentagon would be interesting if he turned out um, oh my clearly God. really give really up, disappointing man. give it up really disappointing but um, the longer trip could potentially be a help to him back in these calmer yeah, waters. Yeah, yeah, And Do you know what um, else would be a help to him? Hurdles. Gelding and hurdles. <laughs> um, yeah, so if he got his preferred fast ground, he could potentially be interesting. And, and the most unexposed one of pretty much the whole lot um, will be Falcon 8, who has looked a nice horse, very well-bred yeah. horse. Uh, you know, was quite impressive in a, very, in a Midland sort of maiden. First time at the Curra. And went into a conditions race last time and was impressive. And looks to be crying out for a real test of stamina. And while, you know, if, if they ask for a handicap mark, they'll probably get something in the low 90s. So that tells you he needs to step up an awful lot mm. to compete here. But wouldn't be a shock if he did now. Say so that the, the longer trip will be a big help to him. And it has to be interesting that Dermot Weld is pitching him in here in a race that he's won before uh, back in 2015. So uh, very, very interesting. Some some high-profile horses. I'd be fascinated if Snow Falcon turns up. Uh, finally, Pink Dogwood was really impressive. A seven-length winner last time out at Gorn on heavy ground. The daughter of Camelot is entered in the 220, the Weld Park Stakes. Um, she may very well take her chance, Kevin, and she's a horse that just wonderful is in here as well but she's horse we've talked about numerous times i still think there's a nice future there interestingly dermot weld has got one for Khaled abdullah uh, and more interestingly she's a daughter of kingman uh, out of proportional so we will watch with interest uh, her debut as well so um yeah plenty of racing to be watching on atr over the weekend yeah, the, the, the one i the one i quickly um point out there is thritias if that's if that's correct, I'll go with um, that. Jessica Har- Jessica Harrington's filly, um, big eye catcher, on Irish Champions Weekend, um, was poorly positioned as the race went, um, lost ground at the start, had an awful lot of ground to make up, um, in a race where being prominent seemed to be a big help, and absolutely flew home. You know, I, I thought she was the best filly in that race, and um, yeah, I'd expect her to show a nice chunk of improvement here, and might just be the one to beat. Okay. Um, in the Cambridgeshire, we didn't really touch on Kenya for Aidan O'Brien. Uh, Rory, do you have any thoughts on him and possible tactics? Um, he's he's very dangerous. I certainly I certainly wouldn't be ruling him out, but he's towards the head of the market, and he's a bit of a hostage to fortune in terms of where he's drawn. Yeah, seventeen. Um, which is yeah, it's it's right in the middle. And as I said, when we talked about it, 
I think being drawn in the middle is almost always a curse mm. um, because the, the horses either side of you go different directions. If there is, I mean, the, the, there might be a bit of pace up the middle at Newmarket in the Cambridgeshire, but it hasn't always worked that way. And when there has been pace up the middle, you end up getting a small group of four or five horses sometimes. Um, so it depends how that pans out. If, if there are a dozen of them who race up the centre and go straight, that'll be fine. But more often than not, they could just leave you in no man's land. And there's um, there's no wiggle room in the price, really, is there, with Kenya? Not really, no. Um, and I think I would rather go with your 40 to 1 selection. Thank you very much. Yeah, surprised he was 40. For, well, we'll see how long that holds yeah. up. Uh, but particularly seeing as last week you blew up the internet. I couldn't respond, and neither could Kevin, to the tweets that were coming in fast enough. Buzz. Gets the job done. 20s advised on the final forum podcast. Went off 9-1. to one. He's been a long-term project of yours, Rory. But you kept the faith and you got the job done. So, I said to you and I was saying, are you available for Thursday's show? Are you up for following up your 20-1 to one winner? What is Rory DeLarge's best bet of the weekend? I think, although I don't have anything like Buzz, I think I've got to go with Morden. As I said, you know, when you said, you know, forty to one shot, I thought, well, that's a, that's an awful lot bigger than um, that I'd have had him. He's definitely one that that has caused people to have their fingers burnt. But ten to one a place about him in the Cambridgeshire is a big, big price. And um, you also know you're going to be getting extended place terms as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the place part of that, that that excites me most because he's he's one of those horses who tends to be last off the bridle in his races. Whether you trust him to put it to bed is is always something to bear in mind. But in a race like the Cambridgeshire, you know, it's it, it, you know I think staying on the bridle as long as possible is is hugely important. So um, I don't really mind if he um, if he looms up looking at the winner with a furlong to go and then doesn't quite go through with it as long as he finishes fifth or sixth or seventh. Um, at those kind of prices, I'll be happy enough. Yeah, as I'm as I'm looking at the prices here, there's actually firms that are paying seven places at yeah. at forty to one. I, I think I reckon there was a firm who played ten places last year. Whoa! Because I backed the horses. I backed the horses to finish eleventh. <laughs> oh God, it's always the way. All right, well, Rory. It was one of those, it was, yeah. Rory is swinging for the fences, forty to one shot, trying to double up after Boz last weekend and plenty of bookmakers are paying seven places so you want to be getting involved in that one um, Kevin Blake your best bet for the weekend Style Hunter why not going against him yeah taking him yeah, on big race big, big race of the weekend why not alright let's do the reverse in ter- forecast in terms of a betting race if you will let's do the reverse forecast and we'll, and we'll see you in Dubai. Um, that's that's Nobody's it. Nobody's going to Dubai. The whole tourist industry in Dubai has been shut down. I'll have you know, Kennedy. I'm telling you now. Here we go. This is it. This is the big one we land. Uh, I'll go with Fairyland. I, I I truly think she's a star in the making, and I think she's way too big a price. And uh, yeah, I will uh, keep the faith with her. This race has been a long-term plan for her as well, and I think 11 to 2 is far too big a price. That is just about it from us on the Final Forum Podcast. Uh, breaking news, we now have Final Forum Podcast swag. Kevin was looking at this today. 
there are Final Furlan Podcast mugs, Final Furlan Podcast pens, mouse mats. So we'll figure out a giveaway. And I'm saying this right now. Mike Ward at At The Races, get ready to send us over some swag to give to either one lucky listener or a few lucky listeners. You've been put on blast, Mike Ward. You now have to send us over the ATR swag to give away in a competition, which will be determined a little bit later on down the line. Uh, Speaking of giving away things, Kevin, you were given a lovely and very thoughtful present by one of the nicest people we've ever met and a legendary listener. We met him through the podcast. He's been listening since day one. His name is Tony Deacon. He is an absolute legend. All of his friends listen in as well. And he sent you an incredibly thoughtful gift. He did. What a legend, Tony. Um, some listeners may recall a few weeks ago, I gave a bit of a shout out to a photograph that uh, Michael Harris had produced of the, the, the finish of the King George between Poets Word and uh, Crystal Ocean. And I made a throwaway comment to the, to the to the effect of I have absolutely zero connection to these horses, these races, but it's such a good photo. I'd be more than happy to hang it on my wall. And a uh, big parcel arrived in, in, into the house the other day. And uh, Tony Deacon, fair play to him, got got the photo um, printed out and kind of a, a kind of a canvas type setup. Uh, it, it looks absolutely fabulous, and he wrote a lovely note to go with it as well. So yeah. um, the image the image will duly be na- be soon on the wall. Uh, thanks to Tony. Um, so ma- many thanks to Tony. Uh, what a legend! Uh, he, Tony pops over. He came over for both of our Cheltenham previews in the Goat, if I recall right. He did. That's right. Um, he he was the one catching the pot noodles and shouting abuse. So he's a, <laughs> he, he's just a, just a super guy. And uh, thanks very much to Tony again for that. He's a lovely, lovely fella. Uh, we've met him at the Dublin Racing Festival as well, uh, and on on course at Cheltenham, Aintree, uh, Goodwood. Um, got to meet him there as well with a, a group of his friends who all listen to the show. One of them, who is the absolute spitting image of Jean Luc Picard, Sir Patrick Stewart. With a Star Trek reboot on the way, featuring Ugh. featuring Jean Luc no, Picard. No, not random actors. Captain no. Captain Jean Luc Picard returns with Patrick Stewart again in the iconic role. So uh, he will be getting lots of people asking him for selfies. Uh, legends, all of them, and thanks so much to um, to Tony for sending that very kind gift to Kevin. Uh, an incredibly generous and kind thing to do. And thank you very much for all the five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and for all the kind words on social media as well. Um, I talked about, in the Pat Smullen interview, the um, the difficult uh, news about my mother's cancer, and um, a number of people have got in touch uh, to ask about her well-being and to wish her well, and um, a number of people, uh, in, in fact, too many people for me to respond to, to be honest about it, but I did my best to get back to everybody. Um, it's something that affects everyone's life at some stage or another and in some form or, or another um i'm hosting an event for the mercy hospital in cork who do remarkable work uh, when it comes to cancer but in terms of all forms of any illness and um there's no way i charge them because i wouldn't be able to sleep soundly at night as much as i love money uh it's a, it's a charity event and and um the very least i can do is give my time to remarkable people who do an incredible job but the reason I bring this up is um, that we got incredibly good news, and uh, that is that the surgery for Mam was a success, 
and the scans have come through and thank god um mam is clear so uh, it'll be a tough few months ahead in terms of rehabilitation and ensuring that it never comes back but she's clear and um that is a miracle and thank god she is and thank you so so much i fully believe that all of the goodwill that was sent uh, to my mother from so many of you m uh, many of you who have who i haven't met but you were kind enough to take the time to send in lovely messages and and kind words all of that matters and means something and uh, it was a great boost to my mother to see those tweets and and direct messages and emails and facebook messages so thank you very much to everybody who got in touch and please god the good news will will continue um kevin you've got a new article to come on at the com next week you're also back with me on monday as we review uh what should be a thrilling weekend's racing looking forward to that it's available monday on at the races.com and your podcast app yeah and uh jane mangan will be back on monday um, i got confirmation as we were potting now fantastic jane mangan returns to the final volume podcast on monday kevin what box set are you currently watching I'm struggling my way through billions, but I'm nearly there. I, I'm a big fan of billions. It's yeah, I, I am too. I, I need to catch up on that. We For obvious reasons, we, we stopped watching it. Bodyguard. I don't know who told you, Kevin Blake, the bodyguard dipped mid-season. Absolute nonsense. It was brilliant. And finally got to see the season finale last night. Epic. Like, I was grabbing onto the to the armchair the whole way through it it was tension from start to finish brilliant series richard madden who was in game of thrones the lead along with keely hawes um produced by jed Mirko. <laughs> random um, actors no if you know your tv you know exactly who they are and nobody and, knows their tv they just watch it and enjoy it <laughs> yes they do yes they do and not only that at the end of bodyguard we got no spoilers but at the end of it we got to see a brief trailer for the new series of Line of Duty, which comes back next year on BBC One and is probably the best drama on TV. Cannot wait for that as well. Um, I just finished The Looming Tower on Amazon. It's about the <laughs> build-up to 9-11, Jeff Daniels. and um, You told us about this. I did, but I finished it now. Uh, Jeff Daniels and uh, Alec Baldwin are in the cast. Jeff Daniels is the lead. It's dark, but it's terrific. I highly recommend that you watch it. And on a completely different subject, I've started watching... Not another one. Yep. Barry. <laughs> uh, Sky Atlantic have it. It's a HBO production, which is um, one of the Saturday Night Live... Uh, Bill Hader. He won the Emmy for Best Actor. Henry Winkler won the <laughs> Emmy for Best Supporting Actor. Watch it. It's about an assassin. Hold on. Henry Winkler. Yes. That's the Fonz. Yes, the Fonz. <laughs> hey. <laughs> The Fonz is back, well, baby. He won the Emmy for Best Supporting Actor for his role in the show. Oh, well, there you go, listeners. That's 77 <laughs> hours of television for you for the next week. We hope you enjoyed that. And we'll give you 70 more hours of recommendations next week. Like, What's the point in doing work? Slack off work, listen to the podcast, pretend you're doing that spreadsheet or whatever it is that you're, to, you're supposed to be doing. If you're out working... Um, doing mechanical engineering, working as a mechanic, if you're driving, whatever it is you're doing, slack off work. Cleaning dead animals off the road. Sleep, sleep. Maybe, maybe you're a, a college <laughs> professor. You know, just maybe you're a teacher. Give your students an assignment. Put in the headphones, listen to the podcast, then get out your iPad and watch these shows. Because, you know, TV is far more important than work, which is just a bore, except for this show. 
which is great fun to, to present and to produce. Rory DeLarge, are you watching any box sets currently? <laughs> I can I, I can normally safely avoid this entirely, but I shall be watching the new series of The Good Place on Netflix. Which is one great. Of the very few things that I can watch with my wife. It's great. It's really good. And it took a very interesting turn at the end of last season. How did you watch so much television? <laughs> I told you, slack off work, watch TV. <laughs> it's great. Kristen Bell and uh, Ted Danson. Ted Danson. Yes. Ted, I, I, I was going to say who Ted Danson plays in it. but if Emily I, nominated Ted Danson. Yeah, but, but if I say that, then I give away a massive spoiler, so I can't. But what I will say is that oh, they're all man, dead man. and they're in the good place. They're in heaven. Or are they? It's really good, and it's back on Netflix very, very soon. Uh, there you go. That's um, 579 hours of TV for you to get stuck into, and that is your assignment oh, ahead of Monday's podcast, plus watch all the racing too. From Rory DeLarge. Good night. From Kevin Blake. Good luck. And from me, Emma Kennedy, thank you so much for the kind words and social media uh, and for the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Kevin saw some more and was absolutely ecstatic. So much so, he was sending me voice messages on WhatsApp going, More five-star reviewers, Kennedy! It's brilliant! It's amazing! But I want more! Why do you, Why do you lie? <laughs> I want more! Such, such needless lies. <laughs> I've got an Audi A5. I've got a fantastic race mare. But I want more! <laughs> right. That's that's it. We're off. We'll talk to you again on Monday with Jane Mangan. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is sponsored by Unibet. Sign up now using code ATR-30 to get your welcome offer. BeGambleAware.org. 18 plus. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.